You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Waiting is an inevitable part of life. It doesn't matter if you're waiting for your coffee order, waiting for the pair of shoes you really want to come back in stock, waiting for test results, or waiting on help while making a big decision. Waiting is tough. When you're waiting, you might feel excited, but you might feel skeptical too, especially when what you've been promised gets delayed. You start to wonder when you've waited long enough. Eventually, you might even give up hope. Sometimes people of faith have to wait on God. While we wait on God, we need to remember that God has a plan. God is faithful. God is listening. And we should never give up hope because God's not given up on us. For the past few weeks, we've been talking about waiting in the middle of really difficult periods of time and difficult situations. And we said that God has a plan, but you may have to wait for it. And while you're waiting, God is faithful. And while you're waiting, God is listening. But let's be honest. There are some situations in life where you're waiting for them to be resolved, for a solution to present itself, that are really difficult to wait. You find yourself waiting and waiting and waiting, and you just get tired of waiting. Sometimes it feels like everyone and everything is against us. It's almost like we're trying to hold up a heavy object, and we're going as long as we can, but we're just waiting for someone to come in and take the object away from us to tell us we can put it down or help us hold the load. And we don't know how much longer our arms can hold because we're worn out from waiting. And sometimes... In these difficult situations, we just want to give up. Now, I don't personally have any experience with being in prison or being arrested, but I did have a college roommate who was arrested while we were roommates. I remember I was sitting in my dorm room. I'm sure I was doing something really academic, studying for a test or writing a paper. And I get a phone call, hey, have you heard about Chris? And I was like, no, what's going on with Chris? Well, Chris got arrested. And I was like, what? There's no way that Chris got arrested. Sure enough, Chris and a group of his friends got arrested on our college campus. But here's what happened. It wasn't like they were doing some sort of criminal activity. Instead, they were working on a project, I think for Western Civilization class, and they were working on a project about World War II, and they were reenacting some scenes for a film they were making. And someone drove by the Bible College campus and called the police and said, terrorists are attacking the Bible College. Well, as you can imagine, every available police officer in the entire area was on that campus as quick as possible. And they grabbed the guys, put them in handcuffs, threw them in cop cars, and took them down to jail until they could get things sorted out. Now, it turns out that they weren't actually arrested. There was no charges filed. But in those moments, those tense moments, they were waiting for a resolution, not sure how it was going to turn out. Ultimately, the president of the Bible College and some other people from the school came down, explained the situation, and the police released them. But not every situation where someone is wrongfully accused of a crime gets resolved so quickly. Here in the United States, for instance, there have been several people who have spent time in prison, long amounts of time, for crimes they didn't commit. 
The first DNA exoneration took place in 1989, where they were able to take DNA testing from previous cases and prove that someone had not committed the crime they were accused of. There have been 375 DNA exonerations to date. On average, these people serve 14 years in prison. The average age at the time of the wrongful conviction is 26.6, 26 years old. And on average, they are not exonerated until they are 43. 21 of the 375 people who've been exonerated serve time on death row. 44 of the 375 pled guilty to a crime they did not commit, and 69% involved eyewitness misidentification. I can't imagine being in prison, knowing you didn't do anything wrong, and just waiting for someone to believe you, waiting for something to come through to prove that you were innocent, that you hadn't committed the crime. If there was ever a situation where you would be tempted to give up hope, it would probably be serving time in prison for a crime you did not commit. Václav Havel, who was a writer, a political dissident, and a statesman who went on to become the president of Czechoslovakia through its dissolution and the president of the newly formed Czech Republic, uh, wrote about his time he spent in prison. Because during the 70s and 80s, because of his political activity, he spent multiple stints in prison. He was constantly under surveillance from the authorities and the secret police. And between 1985 and 86, he conducted an interview, a series of interviews with a Czech journalist, and these interviews uh, were turned into sort of a confessional autobiography called Long Distance Interrogation. It was translated into English in 1990, and the book was released called, as the title uh, Disturbing the Peace. And here's a quote from Havel about hope. He says, the kind of hope I often think about, especially in situations that are particularly hopeless, such as prison, I understand above all as a state of mind, not a state of the world. Either we have hope within us or we don't. Hope is not a prognostication, it is an orientation of the spirit, an orientation of the heart. It transcends the world that is immediately experienced and it is anchored somewhere beyond its horizons. See, the hopelessness that most of us face on a daily basis, it probably seems less severe than imprisonment or wrongful conviction, but we need to understand that hopelessness in all of its forms is no less serious. See, we live in a culture that thrives and produces and cultivates hopelessness. And there are so many reasons why you may be willing to give up hope. Maybe you've tried really hard to change who you are and to change your situation, and nothing seems to be different. Maybe you've tried to make better decisions, but the people around you don't support those decisions. Maybe your family is a complete mess, and you don't see things getting better anytime soon. Especially when you feel alone or unsupported or even abandoned by others, it's easy to believe that things will keep going the way they are and that nothing's ever going to change and to give up hope because we spent so much time waiting. There's someone in the Bible who understands this. His name is Joseph, and he's a pretty important figure in the Old Testament of the Bible. Joseph's story begins when he's a teenager, about 17 years old. Joseph was his father's favorite son, and it was pretty obvious. We read about this in Genesis chapter 37. His father Jacob loved Joseph so much more than all of his other siblings. He gave him a special coat and special treatment. 
Joseph was from a large family, so this became pretty awkward. And there was some pretty intense conflict between Joseph and his brothers because his father favored him over them. To make things even more awkward, uh, God began speaking to Joseph in dreams, letting Joseph know that he would one day rule a nation and even rule over his family. And instead of keeping this information to himself, keeping it private, of course he shared it with his brothers. Why wouldn't you? If you knew that you were special and your dad was constantly telling you they're special and now you're getting these dreams saying that you're going to be in charge, well, Joseph shared it. And instead of taking the hint that his brothers didn't really appreciate the way he was treating them, Uh, and going on and telling them that he would one day be their boss, uh, Joseph continued just reinforcing this, telling his brothers, telling his family about these visions from God. And of course, over time, things became more tense. In Genesis 37, we read that eventually Joseph's brothers decide that they've had enough of hearing him talking about how amazing he is, how awesome he is, and they decide that they are going to get rid of him. At first, they plot to kill him. They threw him into a well while they tried to figure out what they were going to do. But one of the brothers convinced them to spare his life and instead to sell him into slavery. Can you imagine what Joseph must have been experiencing? Can you you imagine what it must have felt like for him to finally realize the extent to which his brothers hated him? Can you imagine what it was like for him when he waited in that well? Can you imagine what it was like when the slave traders came by and his brother sold him and he's in that caravan traveling off to a land where he was going to know no one, where he's going to have no rights, no privileges, no resources. While he was traveling, he was waiting to figure out how he was going to be treated, who he was going to be sold to, how this situation was going to resolve itself. And that's probably enough uncertainty for anyone's life. And that's probably enough certainty for anyone to want to give up hope. But that's not even the end of where Joseph's misfortunes are. When he arrives in Egypt, God gave Joseph a ton of incredible opportunities. And we start reading about these in Genesis chapter 39. We find in Genesis 39.1 that Potiphar, an official to Pharaoh, and the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought Joseph as a slave. And this seems like a good position for Joseph. He's in a house with resources and where he has some influence. And he begins to have some success managing this house, and Potiphar begins to trust him with more and more responsibilities. But then a problem arises. In verse 7, we see that after a time, his master's wife caught uh, her, her eye on Joseph and said, lie with me. She wants to have a relationship with him. But he refused. So Potiphar's wife goes on to falsely accuse Joseph of assault. And we read in Genesis 39 that Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. I can't imagine what was going through his head, thinking he had finally escaped and and made the best of a bad situation, only to find himself once again waiting. Here he is. He's been preyed upon by powerful people. He has no one to turn to, no one to trust, And he was abandoned by the people he thought were his allies and he thought he could trust. And here he is spending time in jail unjustly. Once again, that's enough to make most people give up hope. If you were Joseph, what would you do? Would you give up? Would you attack and punch and and just throw anger at other people? Would you have an emotional meltdown? Maybe all of the above? 
See, this isn't even the end of Joseph's misfortunes. See, Joseph continued to live in that prison for years, forgotten by Pharaoh and his family, forgotten by Potiphar, and just alone. And Joseph even had chances along the way to be freed, but his opportunity was lost once again when Joseph was forgotten. And today I'm not going to tell you how the story resolves itself. Many of you may know the story. Um, You can read it on your own in the book of Genesis. But honestly, that's not even the point of today's conversation. Today we're talking about what to do when you're sitting in darkness, when you're waiting for help, when you're looking for hope and you're uncertain about your future. When Joseph was forgotten in prison, he had every reason to give up hope. He had every reason to give up and lose hope, but instead he didn't. Even though everything seemed to be going wrong, and Joseph wasn't sure if he'd ever make it out of prison or if God would fulfill his promise to make him a ruler over a nation, Joseph knew that God was still with him. While Joseph was waiting, God had a plan. While Joseph was waiting, God was faithful. And while Joseph was waiting, God was listening. And in all that time, God never gave up on Joseph. So Joseph never gave up on God. And if you're waiting on God right now, don't give up because God's not given up on you. There's one verse that really stands out to me from this story from Joseph's life. It's Genesis chapter 39, verse 21. And this is what it says. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. I want you to think about this. Here he is in prison after being abandoned by his family and sold into slavery, wrongfully accused of a crime. And it says, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. You may be thinking to yourself, well, this sounds good, but how in the world do I develop that kind of hope? How do I not give give up hope when I'm facing difficult circumstances? How do I find hope when I'm feeling so hopeless, when I'm so overwhelmed? How do I hang on in the midst of all this difficulty when I'm feeling so alone? Well, I have five ideas for you. The first is to talk to God. See, a lot of us, we turn to God uh, when things are great or when things are awful, but it's the continual turning to God. Praying is not a one-time thing that you do. You don't just talk to God and then walk away. Instead, prayer is a regular rhythm of a faithful life. Tell God how you feel, what you're experiencing, what you're going through. Then ask for help to hold on. Talk to God. Second, I would encourage you to talk to people. See, Joseph may have felt abandoned in that prison, but every place he finds himself, he has people he can connect with. Even when he felt most alone, he was not alone. On top of your friends and family, those who are close to you in your everyday life, our church is filled with people who you can talk to. If you're overwhelmed, if you're feeling hopeless, let's talk about it. We are here to walk through the difficulties of life with you. Talk to God and to talk to other people. You also need to remember that God is stronger than you think. See, when Joseph was in that well, he probably never would have guessed that eventually he would find himself in Egypt, that God would give him opportunities to succeed. 
When he was in prison, he had no idea what God had in store for him in the future. And that's the same God right now who's telling you not to give up, not to lose hope, because God is stronger than you think. But you also need to remember that you're stronger than you think. You are made in God's image. You are wonderfully designed with purpose and intentionality by a creator who loves you. You are strong, capable, and resilient. And when your strength fails you, because it will fail you, remember that your weakness is God's strength because God can be strong on your behalf. So talk to God, talk to others. Remember that God is stronger than you think. And remember that as being a creature created in God's own image, you are stronger than you think. But also, choose hope. See, hope isn't just something that happens to us. It's not just something we encounter in life. In many ways, hope is something that we can choose. We choose hope when we fill our minds with things that are good and true and beautiful. We choose hope when we choose to talk about our struggles rather than trying to handle them on our own. We choose hope when we tell God how much we need help. We choose hope when we decide not to give up even when it's difficult, no matter what. Vaclav Havel said this again about hope. Hope is not the same thing as optimism. It's not the conviction that things will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense regardless of how it turns out. I think that the deepest and most important form of hope, the only one that can keep us above the water and urge us to good works, the only true source of the breathtaking dimension of the human spirit and its effort, is something we get, as it were, from somewhere else. It's also this hope, above all, that gives us the strength to live and continually try new things, even in conditions that seem hopeless as ours do here and now. We need to choose hope. There's a passage from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 that says this, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. So what are you waiting for? How are you going to find the strength to not give up? Will you talk to God? Will you talk to someone you trust? Will you remind yourself of God's strength? Will you remind yourself of your strength? Will you choose hope? No matter how different our situations are, right now we need to know that we can choose hope and trust and perseverance. One of the things that keeps us going as believers is knowing that Jesus completely understands what we're going through. Each week we set aside time to reflect on the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. And when we do this, we understand that Jesus knows exactly what it looks like to go through times of difficulty, pain and suffering, waiting on God. We know that Jesus understands the human experience because Jesus was human to the full extent of humanity. 